Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name is Apple Kreider and I'm your host. So a lot of us are concerned with our credit, with building our credit and not only building our credit, but also using credit cards in order to amass serious credit card rewards. Because I know personally, I've amassed um, a little over $1,000 in credit card rewards in the small amount of time that I have been building my credit and accumulating these reward points. So I wanted to have somebody on the show who could clearly and concisely explain how to really use this system, how it works, um, and who's been playing the game for a while. So today we've got the Credit Shifu is how he's known on YouTube, but his actual name is Ben Hedges. He's on the show to explain to us basically how, first of all, he is making an income online by talking about credit cards and building your credit, but also how to sort of use this credit card system that currently exists in the United States in order to get some free serious travel benefits going on. So we're talking about a lot of different things from the biggest mistakes people make to the best cards to get it first if you're a young person. And if you've gotten some value out of Young Smart Money and it has helped you along your journey, please do consider leaving us a five-star review in iTunes. I really do appreciate it. It allows us to reach an even wider audience and it allows you to hear from even cooler and more amazing guests. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, Ben, uh, thank you very much for joining us today on the uh, Young Smart Money show. Um, could you give our audience just a brief overview of uh, basically who you are? So just like a, like a, like a five second, no, not five second, 30 second um, inter- introduction to who you are. Cool, man. Well, I'm happy to be here. Um, So I'm Ben Hedges, aka The Credit Shifu, and we have a YouTube channel uh, where we teach people about credit cards and financial products, do, you know, reviews of consumer uh, financial products. uh, And I also run a company that owns a few other YouTube channels, and we also market some physical products and basically just online marketing kind of stuff. So, um, but I'm in this, in the purposes of this podcast, I think I'm known mainly for The Credit Card Channel. Yeah, I think we'll be focusing mostly on that, but uh, that could definitely warrant a, a second appearance if we do want to dive more into some of those other things. So sure, sure. first off, I just want to kick it off with sort of your experience with entrepreneurship and really just your sort of upbringing. So could you tell our listeners a bit about sort of what you were like growing up? Um, how was school for you and what did what is sort of your upbringing look like? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I was born in Hong Kong. I lived there till I was nine and then I oh, came wow. to the UK with my family because uh, my family was originally from England. So I was kind of like uh, a bit international from uh, from the start. You know, I knew a little bit more than uh, was available in my little town in the UK, about an hour south of London. Mm-hmm. Um, at school, I did like, okay, I was kind of like a mid-level in the class, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't really work that hard, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of the time, a lot of the things that you studied there they didn't seem very practical, Um, you know, and as a kid, I was very interested in a lot of uh, Chinese stuff. Like growing up, I did a lot of like Chinese Kung Fu and uh, things like that. And um, I, I uh, sort of after high school, I started learning uh, Mandarin Chinese and that uh, really, I found it useful because I I knew a lot of Chinese people through, through various things that I was doing or as interests that I had. And uh, finally I, I found something that, I could study at university. I didn't go to university immediately. I, um, I waited actually three years. Wow. I spent two years as a full-time rock climbing instructor uh, huh. between high school and college. And, and it was that time I sort of started picking up studying Mandarin Chinese with a, a home tutor. And eventually I was like, yeah, you know what? This is useful enough. I'm motivated to learn it. So I'm going to go to college and do it. Yeah. 
I like that mindset so much. And then like <laughs> taking the time to actually figure out what you would even want to study before you hop in and start paying $30,000 a year, actually taking like some time to do some reflection and like actually think because so many people just get rushed into like, Oh, finished high school. Got to go to college, finish college, got to get a job. Um, and they just get stuck in this sort of like rut, but actually taking the time. I, that's so, that's so, I wish more people would do that because that's yeah. such a good way to go about things because college is for everyone. So it's really, it, it's really cool to me that you actually took the time to do that. Because Especially to to um, in the UK, you don't, uh, it's a little bit more specific as well when you start college. Like in the US, I think you don't need to pick your major until maybe year two, right? No, Second. yeah, yeah. Right? So in, in the UK though, you, you start a course straight away. You've basically picked your major in year one. Really? I was yeah. unaware of that. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's much more focused from the start. Yeah. Mm. That, that, okay, that definitely makes a lot of sense why you would definitely hesitate there than not just hop into some program that you're not even sure you have. Yeah, because I literally had no idea what, what I was going to yeah. do. <laughs> and so many people don't. Like, so many people don't have their entire lives figured out by the time they're 17 years old. Yeah. Um, so it, it makes sense to take some time to think about these things. So that's, that's huge. I'm just blown away by the fact that you, you actually chose to do that. Um, so that's, that's amazing. So um, as, as you were getting into learning Mandarin um, and going to school, when did this sort of entrepreneurial spirit develop? Were you working on sort of side projects? Was there stuff going on when you were younger? Or when did you develop this interest in, in starting your own deal? Well, actually, for, for many years, I've toyed with various ideas of, of things, right? So um, okay. one, the earliest one, which was a, a friend of mine, he runs a Thai language teaching website where he basically, it's his own business, and he, he acts as a... Uh, middleman connecting teachers with students. Okay. Um, and there's quite a few of these websites setting up now doing a similar thing. Um, and he's, you know, he's doing good business off of it. And originally I was going to do a Chinese one as kind of a, a partnership with him. All right. It was my first entrepreneurial thing I wanted to do, but, um, in the end it just didn't, I just didn't have the time for it and it just didn't work out. And that's kind of the nature of this entrepreneurial game. I think it's like, oftentimes you'll go through many different, um, ideas, before you finally kind of figure it out and find one that's going to work, you know? Um, so that was like back in 2012 or something. I'd already graduated. I graduated in 2011. So then 2012, I'd already come to the U S. So after I graduated, I came to the U S and I was working as a journalist for a, uh, Chinese American TV company, uh, making news videos mainly for like Taiwan. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to do some entrepreneurial stuff on the side cause that's really where I wanted to be. You know, I didn't really want to be working with someone else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until 20, 2016, I guess when wow. I started the credit shift. Uh, wow. yeah, yeah. So, and, and also it was through out of necessity, you know, because at that time we were having a kid, my mm-hmm. wife, you know, we had a baby and we just needed more money. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I got to, like previously I did a lot of work on things that kind of like it was for the experience. Uh, the TV station I worked for was a nonprofit. I had a great experience there. They broadcast uncensored news to China. If you know anything about China, it's very, yeah. uh, you know, censored the communist regime there. Yeah. And so we were working in this as basically a nonprofit organization. So, you know, it's not like we were working for free, but it's not no. a high salary either. No. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of like, I had a great time there, but that was for the experience. And then now what I'm doing is for actually building wealth. <laughs> so when you really want to build wealth, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, 
big motivating factor in the cutting out the the BS basically like and you really focus in on what works and what doesn't and uh you find that you can progress very quickly because you need to <laughs> you know yeah like when you have that necessity when you have that thing constantly driving you just like breathing down your neck of like oh my god I need to pay my bills I need to I need to support my family um that's got to be crazy family to to have these pressures but um that that definitely seems like it would definitely get you into gear and get yeah. you moving on whatever you're working on. So what made you want to pursue credit? Because obviously the credit shifu is focused around credit rather than something like teaching Mandarin or, or some other kind of project. What made you hone in on credit? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So I have a, I have a YouTube channel called Learn Chinese Now. It's got about 100,000 subscribers. Wow. And uh, that's something I did at my previous company. Um, but the ads that you, know, you can get with that, mm-hmm. they're not very high paying. Uh, it's a very mm-hmm. niche market and it's not something like financial services where you get really high paying ads. So mm-hmm. I never really considered that as a really viable business. It might be like, okay, for one person, but not really building a big, big business. Right. Uh, when I, after we got married, me and my wife, we, uh, we wanted to get an apartment and I'd previously stayed at an apartment that was like organized by my company. So I didn't really have to do any of the like signing the leases or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, but now we wanted to get our own place because we didn't have a credit score in the US. because mm. um, She's not from the US originally either. We're both, okay. well, actually she's a citizen now. She became a citizen this year, but um, I'm still a permanent resident. But at that time we were both just permanent residents and uh, we didn't have, uh, yeah, we didn't have a credit score. And we ended up having to pay for this apartment three months rent up front, mm. plus a $3,300 deposit, <laughs> right? <laughs> So basically like six months rent. It was a, it was a $1,100 a month studio. Oh my and uh, we, yeah, we paid basically six months up front. Uh, we were very lucky that we had the money in the bank, right? Because if you didn't have that money, you'd be like, what am I going to do? You know? um, so then it was after that experience that I'm like, why is this? Why is this the case? And I started researching online and I was like, oh, it seems that your credit score is like vitally important for <laughs> anything in life. So I started reading the points guy about how to, you know, mm. credit score and then discovered, Oh, there's rewards too. So I went to chase, which was my bank. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey man, I want a credit card. And uh, <laughs> they were like, Oh yeah. Um, we'll help you apply. You might get denied, but if you get denied, just come <laughs> back and talk to us and we'll write a recommendation letter to the credit card department. And so that's oh. what I did. I, I applied, I got denied. I went back and this guy, Hector, who is still my banker now. Wow. He, uh, he, he, yeah, he wrote a recommendation letter and he got me the Chase Freedom, which was cool because I got a awards credit card for my first card, which is cool. Probably because I yeah. had with them, you know, they could see money was going in and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a little tip, actually. If you get a card from your bank because they can see how much is going in your account, mm. probably a bit easier than you if you are applying uh, someone you don't bank with. And yeah, yeah, that basically started the journey for me, you know, and uh, I started getting into credit cards and then I started thinking sometime around the end of 2016, I was like, oh, I could actually, you know, write about this. Yeah. I originally wanted to start a website, but mm-hmm. I don't know anything about websites, but I know a lot <laughs> about YouTube. I've got several channels. Well, from my old company, I had a learning Chinese one, 100,000 mm-hmm. subs. I have another one, which is a, a show, which I was the main kind of host of, which is a 500,000 subscribers, all in Taiwan. Whoa. So I've developed several YouTube channels from basically zero to several hundred thousand subscribers. So I decided to do it on YouTube instead. So basically doing kind of something similar to the points guy put mm-hmm. on YouTube was the idea. Not that I'm trying to rip him off, but no, no. something similar, you know? 
Yeah. So when did you start building YouTube channels? If you've got all of these different channels, all these different audiences, when did that start? The, the first few were built um, as, so I don't own these channels, but I'm heavily, oh. I was heavily involved in them over the years. So the first okay. few, I, I own the credit shipper, but the, the yeah. earlier ones, um, they were built with our, our company that we worked for, NTD TV, New Tang mm -hmm. Dynasty TV. And uh, they broadcast on TV, but then they also had like a department that was, uh, you know, wanting to do like online social media stuff. If you look them up on Facebook, they've actually got a huge Facebook page now with like 21 million uh, likes. Wow. TV. Uh, don't confuse it with NDTV, New Delhi TV, which is an <laughs> Indian uh, TV station. But yeah, they, they were, um, so we built several channels and we built this one that got really huge in Taiwan um, mm. called Lao Wai Kan Zhong Guo or A Foreigner's View of China. And mm. basically I host that show and it's just me speaking Chinese and uh, talking about like, I don't know, news and making jokes and all that kind of stuff. And it's very, very big in Taiwan. So yeah, we have several channels in the hundred thousands. And then I thought, well, I could actually do this on my own. And so that's when yeah. I left the company in early 2017. And I'd already started Credit Shifu and we have another channel called Generation Tech, which is all about Star Wars channel, uh, Star mm -hmm. Wars, like fan theories and stuff. It's almost mm -hmm. about 300,000 subscribers now. Wow. And uh, yeah, so me and my business partner, we both quit our jobs and uh, we, we were bringing in, you know, about enough to support us just barely. I was still working part-time at Trader Joe's. So yeah, I quit my job <laughs> at my TV station and I went and worked part-time 20 hours a week at Trader Joe's and uh, did our business. And then by the end of last year, I was earning enough to quit Trader Joe's. And, uh, now through this year, um, you know, we're, uh, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So you started credit Shifu on your own, right? Like it was just, you already have a team built around you. Yeah. It's just on my own. And it's still actually me who, who, uh, makes pretty much everything for it. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. my business partner, Alan will do the odd travel video. We call him the travel ninja. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's mostly me. Yeah. Wow. So are you, are you doing the editing and stuff and the thumbnails too, or do you outsource some of that? I'm doing everything at the moment. Wow. But uh, wow. we are, we're getting to the stage now where we're just, we're just starting to probably uh, outsource some of our editing. So we're thinking about taking on a full-time employee at the beginning of next year, who's going to be an editor basically. Wow. That's big. That's big. Yeah, Those yeah. are some big moves. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Once you get to a certain level, it's hard for you to grow the business unless you yep. start, you know, hiring. And then if you hire someone, you're going to obviously have to spend a few thousand for their salary. But then on top of that, the extra amount of work that they're going to, the extra amount of content that's going to be produced because you've got an editor will bring in money. So it should outweigh it and enable us to grow massively. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's all about that scalability because you get to a point where I'm basically just one person here. You're going to get maxed out eventually. So being able yeah. to scale that is, is going to be big. Um, coming up on this YouTube channel, did you have any mentors in the space? Obviously you were working um, with, with this company that had some big YouTube channels, but did you have any mentors that really helped you um, develop your own channel or was that really just something you did on your own? Personally, I didn't really have, uh, no, we didn't really have any mentors. Um, right. I mean, I watched Daryl Eves who I don't oh, know if you know him, but he's like a big guy who does YouTube consultations and he's got a lot of, uh, free content on his, uh, his channel about like the YouTube, YouTube algorithm and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, I of course use the software VidIQ, which yep, gives you yep, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, you definitely, for someone going into YouTube, you don't want to go into it blind. You know, you definitely need to like 
learn how the algorithm works and have software to suggest keywords and to, mm-hmm. to kind of give you a, a mark of how good your video is for the SEO and all that kind of stuff because you, otherwise you're just throwing away <laughs> views. Um, But we've also been to a lot of, because we had channels with hundreds of thousands of subscribers, we've been to a lot of training at the YouTube space in New York. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They give trainings and um, we've been to like a a red, you know, red cinema cameras. We've been to a camera training that would have cost like five grand, like a two-day training with uh, red cinema cameras. Very, very cool. All paid for by YouTube. But um, Mm. yeah, the stuff that really helped with the channel is just the basic training about how to promote stuff on YouTube, like tentpole programming, for example, which is when you, which is what I did at the beginning of my credit shift channel is when the Sapphire Reserve came out mm-hmm. and uh, basically the Sapphire Reserve built my channel, <laughs> got my really? channel Yeah, because I did a load of videos about the Sapphire Reserve and it was like super hot at that time. Everyone was mm-hmm. searching about it, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah, they got like loads of views and it's what enabled me to start because you probably know the hardest thing about YouTube is like getting that initial start, you know, getting from like mm-hmm. zero to a hundred subscribers, super hard. Yeah. And then yeah, getting to your first thousand. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like super hard. So if you have some popular keyword that can drive people to your channel, like there's a guy, um, Brian Jum, right. Who you might've seen his videos about the Amex gold card. Like he literally started his channel like a month ago. Right. And wow. he basically just rode the wave of the Amex gold card and did like 30 videos, no, I mean, not 30, but like 10, 15 videos about it. Wow. And he's now like a thousand subscribers and he's actually got a proper YouTube channel. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so what have been some of your biggest challenges growing this YouTube channel? Because obviously it hasn't probably been all easy. Um, I'm sure there's been snags and roadblocks that you've run into. So what are some of the, the biggest setbacks that you've encountered? One big challenge was the so-called adpocalypse last year, 2017. Mm, yep. And uh, it was crazy. Like I was, um, I was doing, I was in like last two weeks of work for my previous company. Mm-hmm. And I was actually in Hong Kong reporting on the election there. It was like um, the last, um, yeah, like my last week of work or something. That's what I did. And I remember looking at my phone because I was already running credit shift at that time phone and I was earning like, you know, maybe 20, $25 a day from it. And I looked down and suddenly it's just like, you know, and it goes down to $5 a day. And then I looked at it the next day and I was like, how come it's still at $5? And like for like a week and it just, it just flatlined at $5 a day. It's crazy. And I was like, man, you know, like I'm quitting my job soon. (laughs) This is literally just before I quit. And um, we were really lucky in which our other channel, Generation Tech, it had a big viral video at that time. So we didn't really notice the adpocalypse with that channel. We were able to maintain a steady income. So that was the only reason why I was still able to go ahead with the plan. But um, YouTube income can be very sporadic, you know, and um, you have to develop, if you're going to go full time on YouTube, you have to develop some way of uh, being ready for it, you know, i.e. like maybe just keeping some money saved just in case you do have that or developing more streams of income like email lists and then physical mm-hmm. products that you sell and stuff like that separate from your YouTube channel to uh, bring in income, um, you know, multiple sources of income basically. Yeah. What have you been focused on developing multiple sources? I know you have these credit sheet through wallets, which you can talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. but do you have, do you have many other income streams or are you relying pretty heavily on that revenue? So, um, Ad revenue is still our main source of income, probably okay. like 70% or so. Um, then our second biggest source of income, we do a lot of affiliate marketing now. So we 
we can market uh, actual credit cards now. We're in it. We're in a network where we can, you know, have links that go to credit right. cards, and we get, you know, we get money for each application. Okay. Um, and it's it's pretty well paid. Like I probably can't share the exact figures of it. Understandable. It's a contract with them, but yeah. um, but it pays it pays decently. So. Um, and then we have the credit shift wallets, which are like probably yeah. our third biggest source, which, you know, it, that was more about doing something cool for people. It was more yeah. like a marketing thing. Cause when people, you know, for example, they, they pull out their wallet, right? And, yeah. yeah. But they pull out their wallet and they realize, Oh, like every time they pay, they see like, Oh, credit shift. Oh, I'll go home and watch the latest credit shift video. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like doing something cool for them and marketing our product, which is why we sell them probably a little bit cheaper than the, competition you know like mm-hmm. i've looked at a lot of wallets the larger ones they're about like 35 dollars. we sell ours for 28 oh, wow. and mm-hmm. so you know we just we just go a little bit cheaper like we're not giving them away but we're we're kind of making them attractive to people um okay. because we, i feel it's kind of like a marketing thing and just kind of a cool thing like a souvenir that people might like you know yeah exactly yeah. exactly it's all about like just getting your name out there and getting that repetition in people's minds um yeah. is a beneficial part of that as well so now I sort of want to pivot from sort of like your entrepreneurial stuff more to credit cards in particular, because our audience is primarily um, young people, high school, college student age. Um, so I want to sort of break down some of these tips and ways that our young people can get started with building their credit and potentially earning some rewards as well. So one of your most viral videos um, was actually about a credit card tier system where you rank different credit cards on a scale from one to five. So would you mind just going through sort of that system um, and breaking that down um, doesn't have to be the whole, the whole spiel, but just like a little idea of like what this, how, how credit cards are ranked and like what the different rankings mean. Yeah, sure. Um, so the credit card tier system uh, video, which actually it's come, it's become like a thing now. I've seen several people kind of remake it with their own kind of like uh, take, take on it kind of thing, you know, their own ranking system. One guy did like seven levels, okay. uh, categories or whatever. Um, but yeah, my one, the original one is like five, five levels and it's, yeah. it's not anything official. It's just what I observed from looking no. at the market. So the first yeah. tier is basically credit builder cards and mm-hmm. cards that don't give you any rewards and they also don't have annual fees. So it includes mm-hmm. like secured cards, but then also, um, you know, subprime cards, cards that are targeting people with bad credit scores. Mm-hmm. And then also more kind of, which you shouldn't apply for sub no. subprime cards are, are not good. If you get something by, uh, a company that has a logo very similar to Capital One, <laughs> here, but uh, they might sue me, but uh, don't apply for that card. Um, but yeah, then you have more benign cards like the Capital One Platinum, which is one I definitely recommend for uh, getting started, you know? So that's mm-hmm. tier one. And then tier two is you get cards like the Chase Freedom, um, cards that uh, like Discover It card, cashback, you know, cards that give you some sort of reward, like points or cashback, but okay. also don't have annual fees. And then tier three, you get cards with reasonably low annual fees, like $100. Like maybe sometimes it's like $89 or most common is $95. It's often waived for the first year. Um, and these cards tend to have like bigger signup bonuses worth perhaps maybe $500 or so in points, like 50,000 points or something. Okay. Um, there's a lot of hotel cards in this category, which will typically give a free night per year. And then the tier four is like the premium cards. They're charge at least $450 in annual fee. Some like the Amex Platinum is $550. And mm-hmm. these will typically give you airport lounge access. And uh, they may even give you some hotel gold status like Hilton gold or uh, the Hilton card in this tier gives you Hilton diamond status, which is the highest 
status, you know? Uh, and then tier five is like these invitation only black cards. So the Amex Centurion, uh, or also things like the JP Morgan Reserve, which um, is a pretty cool card. Graham Stefan just had a viral video of oh, that card. That yeah. went huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like uh, that's basically the tier system. And obviously when you're, when you're starting out, you're going to start in tier one. Um, although I actually started in tier two because I got a yeah. reward card for my first card, right? But that was because of the relationship with the bank. So you might be able to skip. But if you're, um, if you're a student and like you're in college, then best kind of example, well, the best thing to do would first to be ask your parents to get on a uh, authorized user on their card, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, make sure it's a card that gives you the whole history um, because some authorized users just give you the credit history from when you became an authorized user. Uh, for example, American Express, I believe is like that. Or some people actually commented recently that there's been some changes. So I have to check that, but okay. basically you need to just make sure, um, that they give you the whole history. So you could be like an 18 year old and you could have like a 10 year credit history because they put you on there when you were eight. All right. Um, actually that might be not be so realistic because some companies have restrictions, like you have to at least be 13 years old or something like that. But anyway. <laughs> The principle is they can give you an authorized user card and it looks like you have a really long credit history and they're basically vouching for you saying like this person's all right, you know, and you yeah. can start building your credit score like that. And then while you're in college, you can probably get like a, a secured card or you can go for a student credit card like Capital One Journey. I think they even give you like $20 cash back if you get a good uh, GPA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you can start kind of building from there. And then once you leave college and you've actually got a job and you've got some income, um, at that time, you can then start, you know, your credit score will already be built. You'll already be above 700. If yeah. you're above 700, you basically can get any card as long as you have some income. Uh, and you'll be able to apply for like, you know, Amex Gold Card, or Sapphire Reserve, or, you know, whatever you want, basically. Yeah. Wow. So do you have to, so this tier system isn't anything that's like set in stone. Like the banks aren't, aren't looking at a cheat sheet of like a, a tier system. This is really something that, that's just like a useful tool to look at, um, but it's not something that's like set in stone, right? It's not set in stone, but I think that, I mean, if you look at the industry and you look at what's on offer, there is a definite, there are definite slots that these cards fit into. Like, mm. why do so many cards have a $95 annual fee? It's like a standard amount. And then the mm. premium cards, they almost all of them have a $450 annual fee, except for the Amex Platinum, which gives extra benefits and it's $550 now, but it used to be $450. So there is definitely like um, a sort of ranking. I think it comes originally perhaps from the Amex uh, charge cards where you have green, gold, and platinum. Okay. Um, because gold, the annual fee, actually it's higher than a lot of other cards, but I think it used to be, it used to be one, like 160 for the gold card. Now it's 250, 160 okay. and 195 for a different version of it, but now it's 250. And then you've got the platinum card that used to be 450. Now it's 550. And I think a lot of cards have modeled it copying that system, mm. where they had green, which is the basic one, gold, which is the sort of mid tier, more expensive. And then platinum, which gives all the high class perks. And so, yeah, a lot of them seem to be following the same kind of route. Okay, so like each bank sort of having its own version so that you could more more clearly compare cards to cards. And they have to, yeah, they have to compete with each other, don't they? So they have yeah. to have an offering that's kind of comparable, you know? Exactly, exactly. Because, yeah, if everything was just completely different, then, then consumers would have no idea what to do, and they'd be comparing all these different things and have no idea. So I guess that, that does make sense that they would have similar offerings, not exactly the same, but have it, have it be able to compare to each other. Exactly. Like if you inserted a card... Uh, say tier 3.5 you know which, yeah. which is kind of a little bit what the gold card is like now actually but if you mm-hmm. inserted a card halfway through and you say charged 350 dollars 
Mm. But you gave like maybe you didn't give unlimited lounge access, but you gave a certain number of lounge passes, right? And then people right. would be like, for 450, I can get it with unlimited lounge access. So I no. might as well just pay the extra hundred or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. oftentimes things don't do well when you insert them halfway between two products that already exist. They need something that's comparable to compete. Mm. Yeah. That totally makes sense. If people see more expensive one, they'd be like, oh, well, if, if I want something actually good, I'd buy this. If I want something that I can buy for cheap, I would buy the cheap one. So if there's one yeah. in the middle, it's not good for anybody. Nobody's it's either viewed that. as an expensive version of tier three yeah. or a cheap version of tier four. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that, that totally makes sense. And I, I guess that I can see how those things sort of clicked into place now. Um, before I was just sort of confused at why everything was sort of on these levels, but that totally makes sense. Um, so, so consumers don't have to start like at tier one and then get a tier two car and then a tier three and then a tier four and then a tier five, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you could, you could uh, potentially, you could get like two tier one cards and then uh -huh. jump to tier three, you know? Because like, actually another thing we recommend as well is that at the beginning, get a few cards. Like after I got the Chase Freedom, even though it really doesn't serve much purpose in terms of getting points or anything, I got the Capital One Platinum just to get another line of credit on my credit report. So mm -hmm. that I had two cards rather than one. Um, and then within a year, I was able to get approved for the Sapphire Reserve. Interesting. Is, yeah, because I was building the, you know, the more lines of credit you have, it's actually better for your credit report. Yeah. You your overall limits and uh, lowers your utilization and you have more lines. So it's viewed as good. It's mm -hmm. actually weird. You'd think it would be the opposite, but it's not. It's, you know, it shows well, that you can what a lot of people think. Um, yeah. Especially when I try to explain to like family and friends why I have more credit cards and why I'm like slowly adding on more. Um, they get confused. They think I'm spending all my money and getting myself into a rut. Um, when in reality, there's sort of like a system that I'm following and just trying to build my credit over time. Um, not just trying to get out as much available credit as possible and spend it all as quick as I can. Um, yeah. So there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of myths associated with building credit. Um, so could you cover um, a couple of like the most widely propagated myths with either building credit or rewards credit cards in general? Um, sorry, say that again. The the most widely propagated myths? Like yeah, just some of the, yeah, just some of the biggest myths around credit. Oh, okay, so well, I mean, I guess a, a big myth would be like if you use a credit card, um, you're going to get into debt. I mean, mm. that might be true for some people if they're not good at handling debt. Uh, but if you, um, if you can pay it in full every month, then, you know, you're not, you're going to be fine, right? Exactly. And exactly. Rewards and be able to have luxury vacations for cheap. I mean, I, I just got back from a $5,000 vacation that cost me only $800. Wow. Yeah. 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 I went to the Cayman Islands, stayed at the Ritz Carlton <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So it, wow. I, I worked out if I'd paid cash, that hotel is $868 a night. Um, so, and then plus the flight and everything. Yeah. If I had paid cash, it would have been 5,000 and I paid 280,000 points of two different points currencies and, uh, about $800 in total, which included like restaurants while I'm there, you know, so actually I paid cash $250, but then I'm just including the meals I ate while I was there. So yeah. Wow. That's but like with, yeah, with credit cards. I mean, you can, and, and even if you were someone who got into a little bit of debt and did occasionally pay some interest, mm -hmm. if you could get like a $5,000 vacation for 800 bucks, you've made $4,200. So yeah. even if you paid a thousand dollars of interest because you were a little bit irresponsible, you got into debt, um, you're still $3,200 up, right? Because mm -hmm. you had that amazing vacation. So now I'm not advocating getting into debt. 
No. <laughs> so it's, it's best not to have any debt at all and to always pay it in full every month. Yeah. Um, but the value you can get out of these things is huge. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's just something that not a lot of people really understand. And just being able to be responsible and realizing that, okay, is a credit card something that I can effectively manage or not? Because some people, it's just not right for them. Okay, Some people aren't going to be able to control their spending enough to make this work for them. Um, but some people who, who have that self-awareness and realize that this is a, a tool that they could be utilizing um, can really be getting some, some really good advantages. Like you said, getting that $5,000 vacation for $800. That is, that's absurd. That's, that's so much money that you're saving. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that, that's just not available to, um, or the people just don't realize it's available to them um, because they don't, they don't see how, how these credit cards actually work and how, how the system actually can work in their favor. So bouncing off of that, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when they're trying to get into um, accumulating credit card rewards or, or building their credit? Like, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that people do end up falling into when they're trying to get into this sort of system? Yeah, well, one, one mistake, I guess, yeah. um, would be that uh, missing payments. So like, you absolutely don't want to miss a payment. It's like one of the most important things. Uh, payment history is a big, big part of your account. So just mm -hmm. whenever you get a credit card, just set up auto pay for the minimum payment. Um, you don't have to pay the whole, whole thing in full. Um, if you don't pay the whole thing in full, it, you'll pay interest, but it won't show up as a bad mark on your credit report. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But if you miss even the minimum payment, then that's going to show up as a derogatory mark. So if you want to build your credit, make sure you've got auto pay set on all your cards for at least the minimum payments. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really, really important thing. Uh, in accumulating points, um, a lot of people, they just, uh, and we did a video about this a few days ago, actually, like a lot of people, they don't, they don't use their points in the correct way. Um, like sometimes they'll redeem their points for low value. Um, sometimes it's unavoidable, but basically if you get, um, there are certain travel cards like the Chase Sapphire Preferred, et cetera, that will give you a travel portal option where you can actually book travel through Chase. Um, Capital One also has the Venture card, which we've talked about uh, recently, which lets you book travel through that and erase travel purchases with points are basically one cent value per point. But if you transfer over to airlines, you can get much, much higher value, like two, three, four, five, even like seven, eight cents per point in value uh, when you're booking business class and first class, right? Um, so basically, but sometimes it's unavoidable. Like if you're traveling with a family, you're going economy, a lot of the time, the best value really you could get is out of the travel portals where there's no blackout dates. Um, but if you are on your own and, you know, because award availability is sometimes tough to find on airlines. So, um, you're more likely to be able to get like an amazing redemption in business or first class. If it's just you traveling, what I do a lot of the time is that I will book, say I can often get like a business class fare where I book for one person with points and the other person I pay for it. And it will cost me like the same as what two economy tickets would cost because I've paid with points for one and I've paid the full price for another uh, okay. because it's hard to find the award availability if you mm. um, are paying points. Yeah. That makes sense. And as far as like the, the mistakes of building credit and missing payments, we, we talked at length about that um, in our episode with self lender on episode 23. So if you guys are interested more in learning about what actually goes into building your credit score, definitely check out that episode where we really break down the five main criteria that go into your credit score and what you can do to be improving each of those. So now sort of what I want to do is before we finish this episode, um, just a basic, we, we sort of covered it on the tier system, but just like a basic strategy that you would recommend 
for a young person who's looking to get involved with, with building credit and earning some rewards, where would you recommend they start? Um, and what are some good moves to be making at first? Um, well, at the beginning, just try to get as many lines of credit as possible. Um, don't worry about rewards uh, for the first, say, six months. You know, you can just go with uh, basic cards like the Capital One Platinum, um, the Discover It card. Actually, that does give some rewards. But um, yeah, you can look at secured cards at first. Secured card is where you give like maybe $200 over to the credit card company and they hold that in an account, like an insurance against you not paying. And then, you know, uh, and then you use your credit card each month. And if for some reason you don't pay, they can take it out of that $200. And if you give more money, they'll give you a higher limit on your, your credit card. So you can build it with secured cards. Um, so say like most people, they think like they'll start if they get like one secured card and they think, Oh, I'm building my credit and they are, but Hey, you can actually get two secured cards. If you're willing to part with $400 temporarily, yeah. uh, you could get two and build it much faster. There's actually a way you can get to 700 credit score within like six months. Um, this really? way. Yeah, you get just try and get like a couple of authorized user cards, a couple of secured cards. You got four lines reporting. Uh, make sure you spend a little bit on each and pay it off each month. So you get four lines reporting monthly on-time payments. You go really fast. Um, so that's my advice, you know, make, sh make use of authorized user cards and secured cards at the beginning. And um, then you can, you know, after six months or so, you can start, probably you can get into tier three and then after around a year, you can get into tier four, the premium cards. And, and it's that time where you can really start accumulating the rewards. Don't expect to get like loads of first class plane tickets straight away. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how soon you said four cards in six months. Do you think that is a reasonable rate people to go at? Um, or do you think people, you don't have to do as many as that, but two of them remember are authorized users, which they don't require a hard pull on your credit report. It's just a case of a family member adding you. So say your dad or something, and you got to check if they got good credit, you know, like yeah. let's say your dad has a lot of missed payments on his account. <laughs> you don't want that. Right. But as long as they're responsible, they add you. Uh, and then you can go and apply for secured cards. Or if you've even got a little bit of credit history, like a lot of people who apply for the capital one platinum, um, they can get it straight away without any deposit actually. But it, okay. generally older people, people in their twenties, if you're still in college, then it, they might, only want to give you the secured version. Um, but yeah, you can try, try and get as many lines as possible. Um, and then don't worry about like some people, they're like really worried about it. They'll like put a purchase on it and then pay it off the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can have a bit of a balance on your cards. Just the general thing is try to keep it under around 30%. Um, yeah. what we call credit utilization yes. evenly across all your cards. Don't like max out one and then spend zero on another. Yeah. Even 30%. Um, paired off every month. Yeah. Yeah. And another good benefit of um, getting a, a lot of no fee cards at first, you can just allow those to age with you over time because if these are cards in tier one or tier two with no fee, then you can sort of just keep those around forever. And even if they're not like the optimal card for you to be using, they're just going to age with you and allow your credit to grow over time too. So I think that's really a, a really great idea. It's just like get, get a couple cards at first and allow those to age with you so that over time, they're just going to keep building your score and keep building your credit history. You do want, yeah, you do want to be able to keep them. And uh, there are often upgrade options. So like, say, for example, I got the Capital One Platinum early on and it's not really any use to me anymore. So I checked out the upgrade options and I was able to upgrade it to the Quicksilver, which gives 1.5% uh, cash back on everything. So I can actually use it now because it gets cash back, you know? Otherwise, it's kind of just sitting there in a drawer. Yeah, yeah because if you have all the other rewards cards that you could be using, why would you use one that doesn't give you anything? So it's yeah. 
being able to have those upgrade paths is definitely, definitely a plus as well. Something you guys should be looking into um, before you decide which card you actually want to look into um, as well. So I have a couple questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. So without further ado, let's hop right into those ones. And sure. the first of which is what are you excited about right now? So this can be something um, related to your business. This can be something in the news. Like what are you like excited about right now? Um, well, we're definitely excited about, uh, do, you know, working on our business next year. I think, uh, you know, right now it's a pretty good time, I think in the U S for small businesses, um, just cause right. of the economic environment is pretty good right now. Uh, small businesses also got this 20% tax deduction for pass through business entities. So if you are a sole proprietor, LLC, S corp, you do pass through business, you actually get 20% extra uh, taken off the money that you have to pay tax on. Um, yep. and also we all just have a tax cut too. So <laughs> I, I think it's a great time for, uh, economically for businesses. And there's a lot of, you know, we're thinking about, you know, getting our first full-time employee, uh, in January. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we most probably will be doing that. So yeah, we're very excited to be growing our business. Um, we're making a transition from LLC to S corp, which is mm. a different, structure next uh at the beginning of next year cool which, um i'm actually and we're starting a new channel the business shufu which, really uh, yep it's going to start in december and well actually it's already started then if you're watching this uh in 2019 and basically yeah we're going to be talking more about business and entrepreneurship because on our credit shufu channel a lot of people they follow it because they want to know about building their credit and yeah. actually a lot of them are not so interested in um entrepreneurship and business and investing and stuff like that mm. so we're going to start another channel uh, or we have already started another channel, which is talking about all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, wow. Shifu uh, is um, is is that basically definitely exciting. And I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes as well, so you guys can go yeah. check out that channel um, and definitely drop a subscribe if that's something you're interested in. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're at least a little bit interested in entrepreneurship. So I assume that would be a very great fit for a lot of our listeners. Um, what are some of the habits that have actually served you most throughout your um, growing your business and getting involved in credit? Um, well, with growing our business on YouTube, yeah. uh, persistence is the biggest mm -hmm. habit. I remember Roman Atwood, someone with, he's a vlogger yeah. with like, you know, millions of subscribers. And he said, I think it was advice he gave to Casey Neistat was, uh, just keep uploading. That's mm -hmm. it. Just keep uploading. And eventually, and, and it's true because like 80 or 90% of YouTube channels that get started actually fail within the first year. Like yeah. people just underestimate how hard it is to build an audience yep. and then they fail. And actually they're kind of kicking themselves or stabbing themselves in the back because if they just persisted, it will come eventually. Like um, YouTube kind of rewards you the longer you're online, uh, the longer you're on their platform. So you've got to maintain several uploads a week. Um, it's not so important to be daily anymore. You could be like every other day. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my opinion about it. Um, and just, yeah, just keep uploading. If you have something that builds momentum, like a t uh, what they call temple programming, like a, you know, a big event that you're making your videos about, you know, just milk it, try and build the momentum, keep, you know, increasing your baseline. And then once you get to a certain size, um, sorry, am I actually answering the question? What was the question again? Yeah, no, it was just um, some of the habits that have served you most and you were talking about persistence. So I think you're okay. still on track. Yeah. So then you need to be on the lookout for new products because like we said with the adpocalypse, um, you know, one stream of income can kind of dry up. So you mm -hmm. always need to be 
once you get to a certain level with something, perhaps you have some money to invest, you can start investing in other things. You know, when I'd made a certain amount of money from YouTube, I can pay like a thousand dollars to go and order wallets um, yeah. to sell. All right. It's like, you know, you can invest back into your, and then we earlier this year, we started renting an office, which kind of facilitated us working together, me and my business partner. And then we have one other guy we partner with who has a seat a desk in our office as well. And we all do YouTube stuff. So that was an investment too. So like, it's kind of like little stepping stones that each, you know, yeah. building up the business, you know? Yeah. So, Multiple streams of income, really important. Yep. Be persistent. Persistence is like one of the most important things because a lot of people fail. Um, I'm not one of these people who advocates working like an 80 hour, 100 hour week like Elon Musk. <laughs> He's like, oh, if you work oh, an 80 hour week and everyone's working a 40 hour week, you have advantage because you can do double what they can do. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you have zero quality of life. So yeah. I you have to have a good quality of life as well, especially when it's like entertainment and media. Yeah. Like, you can't go on there looking like, like, like all burnt out and just yeah. like, like if you look at yeah. Gary V, he's kind of like a great guy, good advice, but he's like so intense. Like he's on a caffeine yeah. high all the time. He looks like he's about to like, like he's got bags under his eyes. Like I can fall asleep yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I kind of feel like you have to, you have to, once you get to a certain level, you need to maintain a good quality of life as well. Yeah. You gotta get it. It works for you because everybody's on, on different things. Everybody's, at a different place. So it's just figuring out what works for you and, and sticking with that. Um, because yeah, not everybody wants to work a hundred hours a week like Gary Vee. Um, so, so you really have to figure out what works for you. Um, speaking of Gary Vee, who's, who's content are you consuming right now? Are you reading any blogs, listening to any podcasts, watching any of their YouTube channels? Um, oh yeah. Some of my favorite YouTubers. Well, um, yeah. I watch who do I, well in the finance and entrepreneurship kind of space, I watch Graham Stefan stuff quite a lot. Okay. Um, I watch uh, financial education, Jeremy's stuff. Yep. Like maybe, you know, every few days I'll watch one of his videos, especially if it's about one of the stocks that I'm following. Okay. Um, I mean, he, he kind of just like tells you stuff in an entertaining way kind of thing. So yeah. it's, not like, it's not like super deep, but I, I still quite like his videos. And um, I kind of got in the momentum with buying and selling Tesla. Like I actually bought it and sold it pretty much the same times that he did actually a little bit better than he did mm. <laughs> kind of because of his videos. And I don't, I don't just take stock tips from people. Yeah. Um, but in regards to that, when I watched his videos, I was like, yeah, that's actually quite a good analysis. I think I'm going to come in with you on this, on, on mm. this one. You know? Some of his, not all of his tips are good, but no, no. <laughs> I agreed with him and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm going to buy Tesla. So I bought Tesla. And then Elon Musk came out with his uh, funding secured tweet. Oh, man. <laughs> and it shut up. And I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's cool. And then Jamie, he's like, I'm selling it, right? And I was like, oh, I don't really want to sell it. Yeah. And then I looked at why he was going to sell it because he didn't want to invest in a private company, et cetera. And mm -hmm. so I was like, you know what? I'm going to sell it too. So it, I, got, I got in at like 290 and I sold it at like 370 or something. Wow. And then it went down. After I'd sold it, it went down to like 260 and I was like, you know, I'm going to buy it again. <laughs> so I bought it again. I bought it again at 260 and now I'm, it's at like 340 or something. So I've yeah. like, I've done a double. Wow. It's, it's, it's really good. So <laughs> I, I like watching Jeremy's stuff and listening to his, his analysis, financial education. Um, I, I will occasionally watch one of your videos. Uh, I will watch, um, 
I occasionally watch Travel Rewards Coach. He's a guy who does stuff similar to Credit Shifu, but he's kind of like always traveling around the world. So he's, he's doing credit, credit card stuff, quite interesting stuff. Um, who's the other guy? Oh, I recently, I watched a little bit of Ryan Scribner recently. Okay. I have got into like checking out some of his stuff. Uh, I'm not used to his accent. It's still, I think he's from Canada or something, right? He, no, he's from, he's from New York, I think. From um, New York? Yeah, no, he's from the U.S., but he does, he does I, have a bit of an accent. I don't think he has a New York accent. I don't know. I mean, he's, yeah, his, his information is really good. Yeah. Um, I, I just find his presentation not as, uh, I prefer a more entertaining kind of presentation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's yeah. definitely not the most, like, Jeremy, like, just energy, energy, energy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the information is definitely very solid. So of those people you mentioned, actually, Graham's coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, um, as is Ryan. Still in talks with Jeremy, but um, hoping to get all three of those guys on the podcast pretty soon. So oh, that's cool. Well, it's a small, you know, it's a small niche on YouTube. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a good finance niche. So it's very easy to get people to do collaborations with and stuff. Um, so yeah, yeah. Everybody's, everybody's just really open to, to working together and just helping each other out. So I, I really, I really appreciate that about this niche um, and just how, how friendly everybody is and, and willing to, to help out. So um, that's, that's really cool. Last thing, um, do you have any books um, that have been particularly impactful on you, um, probably in the financial space, but also, also entrepreneurially? Yeah, sure. So um, I really liked Rich Dad, Poor Dad, oh, which yeah. um, Robert Kiyosaki's book, mm. which if you watch any of those like, 10 books you must read if you're an entrepreneur, right? That's always it. It's a must. And uh, his, his book, it's really, um, it kind of changes your mindset. Um, basically, the main thing you take away from it is that like, if you're working for someone else, you're really throwing away a lot of stuff. You don't have a, a rich mindset. Whereas if you're entrepreneurial, you start your own company, you can really, you know, you can minimize your taxes, you can maximize deductions, you can yep. really... There's a lot of things you can do because the system was designed by people who own companies. So they obviously built yeah. into it advantages for themselves. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I mean, if you just look at like the tax you pay, if you're a shareholder in a company getting qualified dividends, you pay like, well, you pay zero. And if you earn more than like 77,000 a year, you pay 15%. Right? <laughs> Whereas the tax rates for someone like that, I mean, you could be paying, I don't know, 20, 30, like, percent whatever right so it's just yeah that's the way and then he also um the way he looks at assets versus liabilities mm. um, and he says like your home is not necessarily an asset actually it's kind of a liability you got to pay yeah. property taxes on each each year uh it's you know all that kind of stuff so that's that's a good book i've been trying to read think and grow rich by napoleon hill mm. yep. um, this is another one of the classics that people kind of uh kind of recommend in those videos but this one, I don't know. I just can't get into it. I'm like, I'm like this far, like a, you know, one chapter into it. It's a lot about mindset. And, uh, yeah, it's very mindset. Yeah. To me, sometimes I, I just feel like I understand what they're saying, but I'm kind of like, I have my own thinking, you know? Yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, it's tricky. And then I'll share some of my other books, which aren't really entrepreneurships. It's more like spiritual books. So this one, Falun Gong, which is, um, it's a Chinese spiritual practice. Uh, in fact, I read it in Chinese most of the time. And um, this is uh, like a Buddhist practice that uh, was made. It's, it's huge in China, but it's, um, it's like banned by the Communist Party in China. However, it's literally available in, you know, there's people doing it in every country in the world. And uh, 
their books um, really has, uh, you know, the teacher's books really made a big impact on my life. So I read it quite a lot. It's like a philosophy is based on truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. And there's a, you know, meditation exercise and stuff like that. And I think that's also what a lot of young people lack these days is kind of like, especially when you're getting into entrepreneurship, you, you know, you may be making money and you become wealthy, but you're not sort of like spiritually um, wealthy mm. or spiritually rich um, yeah. or, or even morally. You, like you don't have a code of conduct kind of morals that you live your life by. Yeah. I see it in a lot of people who spring to wealth, like um, for example, Jake Paul, right? I mean, he's, he's, if you've been mm. anywhere the last year, you'll have seen the Paul brothers on YouTube and they've done yeah. so well commercially, right? Well, sort of but they don't really, they, they live a kind of debauched lifestyle. So they kind yeah. of like, you can see Jake Paul, basically his whole organization has fallen apart over the last sort of six months or so. His chief operating officer left a few months ago. Now he's split up with his girlfriend who was part of his, you know, one of the members of his team. Mm-hmm. And like Gary V is one of his investors. Like I probably worrying a lot about what's yeah. going on. Because he was like, you know, Jake Paul had like one of the biggest teams of influence on YouTube, influencers on YouTube. And now half of his people have like run off to the, uh, the clout gang, which is like the rival <laughs> in, uh, in LA that they all live in the same house and do pranks no. on each other. And like the whole thing is pretty stupid if you ask me, but like, <laughs> I have to agree with you on that one. Like, yeah. half you agree yeah. with you there. But my point is that like, yeah, these people, if you look at any of these sort of guru people like Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. they, they often teach both wealth, creation and kind of like a spiritual mentorship angle as well. Yeah. You know, like Tony Robbins, he does like meditation and he's like, and so for me, I feel like it's important to have both. If you like just have money, like wealth with no virtue, it kind of spells disaster. Yeah. You need to have some kind of like moral, some kind of code, gentlemanly code or spiritual mm-hmm. code or whatever it is. It could be different things for different people, but you need to have something to more enrich your life along with the wealth and build both at the same time. So, Completely agree. Yeah, this is uh, my kind of spiritual books that I read, Falun Gong. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll be sure to link those up in the show notes as well if you guys want to do check those out. Um, yeah, there's a website, uh, Falun Dafa, F-A-L-U-N-D-A-F-A dot O-R-G. Is, um, yeah, you can put that in the description as well if, if people want to check it out. And you can basically you can read their stuff for free uh, online. Might not be for everyone, but you can check it out. Yeah. Thank you very much for that resource. I really appreciate it. And I think it's so valuable, again, like you said, to, to be developing yourself wholly, basically just, just getting that holistic um, approach to, to developing yourself rather than just focusing on making a lot of money because a lot of young people are just focused on making as much money as they can. They get the money, they have no morals. And then like you said, um, you get Jake Paul. So <laughs> that's what we got. Um, thank you, thank you uh, again, Ben, for being on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Um, and I know our listeners got a ton of value out of this, um, this episode. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with before we go? Any last closing thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I would just say to young people, like, um, there's a big world out there. Don't forget to explore. Look, you know, sometimes you travel to different countries, uh, meet different people, find out what's out there and, you know, don't just be within your little, little bubble. Um, because there's a huge amount of possibilities of, uh, different directions you could go in in your life and you want to have all the information you want to explore it all and uh then make your decision about what you're going to do so and Completely yeah build, build everything holistically don't forget about quality of life in addition to building money and uh, your spiritual development and your you know yeah wiser words have never been spoken ben <laughs> thank you very much for your time i appreciate it um and hope to see you back soon cool 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, all you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast's page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.